Hey guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. I'm so excited to be announcing this wonderful masterclass with the iconic, legendary, and incredibly just brilliant Jan Marini. She is, Jan is so kind to be doing this masterclass with us. It will be a five part uh, series and this is the first episode in the series and it is all about understanding acne, defining acne, and really looking at it in a way that we can all understand and then approach in a more logical and scientifically based um, method. So I hope you guys love it. Um, the second episode of this masterclass will be going up on Sunday at the same time, and that will be on Rosacea. So you guys, um, let me know what you think and stay tuned and enjoy the show. This is a really, really amazing, amazing masterclass. Thanks, guys. guys welcome back to skincare anarchy this is such a special moment for me because it is the first ever master class that we are we have the honor of conducting and um our you know just the, our guest of honor is so phenomenal um so i want to introduce you guys to jan marini she is truly an icon in the professional skincare market for over 40 years she's been enthusiastically recognized and endorsed by the medical community for all of her innovative technologies and her patents and she was also recognized by new beauty magazine as one of the top 20 innovators in aesthetic space and so she's truly you know a rock star when it comes to skin health and everything um she's spoken at so many different medical conferences jen you're such a you're such a motivation for me too because i just i love that you've done so much and you've put yourself out there and educated so many people so welcome to the show thank you for giving me the honor to host you and to host this wonderful class series with you so welcome well thank you you know it's a pleasure to be here and i've Really, I'm really excited about this. This is going to be fun. And thank you for your kind words. Yes, no, it's it's truly going to be amazing because I love that um, we're going to be going through topics that are so key to understanding. And I and I love, you know, when we can really go through it systematically. So before we dive into that really nitty gritty science stuff, I want to learn more about you and just your journey um, in just medicine and, you know, teaching and, and educating and being this being an expert, really, um, if you can get kind of guide us through, you know, memory link. Well, I have been a product researcher for well over 40 years. Actually, it's going on 50 years. And back in the early days, my expertise was in the area of ingredients. You know, when people pick up a skincare product, they look at the ingredient listing and it's complicated and it's mysterious. And how do you know if it's really going to make your acne better or worse? Is it really going to help your fine lines and wrinkles? Is it really going to have an effect on discoloration? And I did a lot of lecturing to physicians and skincare professionals, medical professionals, a lot of radio and television, it lends itself really well to talk shows and people love to hear about ingredients and what works and what doesn't work. But as time went on, I began to develop associations with physicians and researchers literally all over the world. And I really started to focus on uncovering and identifying breakthrough technologies. And I, I have to tell you, I always qualify the term breakthrough, because anytime somebody comes to market with a product, it's always a breakthrough. So what I'm really referring to, these are things that weren't in the marketplace. And as an example, I was an early glycolic acid pioneer back in the early to mid eighties. You couldn't walk into a department store or a drug store 
and buy a glycolic acid product. It didn't exist commercially. And then around 1989, going into 1990, I financed and brought to market two product lines. Um, I'm going back a lot of years, so people may not remember these, but MD formulations and MD Forte. Now, they were unique for a couple of reasons. One, it was probably the first real glycolic acid line in the marketplace, but I made a decision that I was going to market them through physician offices. And hmm. that was unheard of. And yeah. I have to tell you, Ecta, this is my fourth business. And that was the most challenging time I've ever had in a career because physicians were incensed that you would ask them to sell products out of their office. Or as they said, I'm not going to sell cosmetics. Didn't even consider it to be skincare. Well, now, of course, the rest is history. But it was unique for another reason, because in 1994, yeah. it was the first company in the professional market in that doctor space skincare company that was ever purchased by a major pharmaceutical firm, Allergan. And wow. so on July 1st, 1994, we took down the MD formulation sign and we put up the Jamarini Skin Research sign. And here we are. Oh, that is mind blowing. I, you're a pioneer. I mean, through and through that's, that's in so interesting that you said that was the hardest time, but that's, you know, that, that was the moment, the turning point. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, so then what, what happened after that? So you just, I know you have so many patents and you've done so much, you know, in addition to that. So what was the next step for you once it well, was, you know, I really found a Jamarini skin research because I felt that the professional market was in its infancy. And, you know, yeah. when you look at the professional market, it really still is a very young market in comparison to skincare venues, department stores that have been out there for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And this really started in right around 1990. And so it's kind of in a way it was sort of the wild west. And I thought, well, with Jamarini Skin Research, I could bring to market a company, not only that I would really pioneer new technologies, but in terms of just education and just really being able to partner with resellers and physicians and, and, and that professionalism, I really wanted to bring that into the marketplace. And um, we've, you know, we're going into our 27th year and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm really proud. We've, we're an international company and I, I think that we're highly respected in the physician marketplace and it's not yeah. just, you know, one of the things that I always say, Ekta, is you always want to have the best product. Yeah. And nobody yeah. ever tells you that they have the second best product, right? But, yeah. But everybody wants to have the best product. But you know that there's a lot of companies out there that have done very well that don't have the best product. And sometimes it's because they're the best partner. Yeah. And so yeah. I really always wanted to be the best partner, not only have the best products and efficacious products, but the best partner for our resellers and i i think we've we've done a really good job of that no absolutely and you know honestly jen i want to know because this must have been such an interesting journey in terms of working with the physicians and turning their kind of mindset so can you tell us a little bit more about that like what it was like when you first really kind of like you know uh i guess got through to a doctor and said this is a, you know, I'm, I'm coming up to you with real treatment options here. You know, now this isn't just cosmetics or whatever. Like, what, can you give us like a story or an uh, you know, example? Well, I think there were two things that were really catalysts. One is that because it was glycolic acid, 
yeah. it did have some validity and glycolic acid was being studied uh, for things like acne scarring and for appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. There were studies that were starting to emerge having to do with collagen deposition. And it, it, was, it was really getting some high marks. But then I also have to say that one of the things that happened that time that was another catalyst was managed healthcare. Mm, okay. So when you look at this from a business perspective, you have a physician, say a dermatologist, and maybe they're getting $60, $65 for an appointment. And then all of a sudden managed healthcare comes in and they're lucky if they get 10 or $15 for that same appointment. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, the doctor is still paying the same rent. They're still paying the same staff. And so you, they began to look outside the box for ways to draw in discretionary income outside of managed health care. But at the same time, they needed to feel that it was still something that was efficacious and wasn't outside their, you know, commitment to medicine. Yeah, and well, you so, know. It, so there, were some, there were some favorable conditions that just happened around that time yeah. that I was able to take advantage of, but no. still it was a very, it was, it was really a, a very um, challenging situation. No, I can imagine. And I, and I didn't mean to interrupt you earlier, but I think this is, I mean, this is truly uh, great stuff. If you look at it from, you know, my perspective, because I can tell you, you know, as an MD, I've, I've seen that like, you know, doctors hitting this wall when it comes to like you know technologies and being open-minded and for you to be able to be right there and being able to offer real solutions to physicians that they could really get behind in terms of science that's huge Jan I mean that's you know like I I mean I I just want to rave about that yeah that's amazing and to do that yeah I bet it was really difficult that's (laughs) you're going against the system you know you're going against the whole at that point but I I will tell you one thing after and I remember the very first conference where I ever had a table where I exhibited. Yeah. It was Dr. Mark Rubin, who was a dermatologist who has gained a lot of notoriety for his work in TCA peels. And he used to host some, you know, I mean, kind of medium-sized conferences, but he'd get 500, 700 physicians that would come and listen to his technique. And they, none of these conferences had ever had any skincare exhibitors ever. So he asked me if I wanted to have a table and it was right outside the conference room. I had a six foot table on one side of the door. On the other side of the door was a company that was not selling to physicians. They, it was a company called Tie Screen, which is sold in drugstores. And it was simply like they just were making physicians aware of the product. And he, Dr. Rubin mentioned the product and he mentioned, said some things about it on how efficacious it was and what he was able to achieve with, with our products. And I'll never forget, they broke for lunch and the doctors came out of the room and they swarmed around the table. And literally, it, everything happened so fast. My lunch was gone and all the products were gone. <laughs> and that was, but that was really kind of a a milestone in terms of at least with that group right there starting to get some credibility 
Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. You know, I think it's, it's just quality, you know, Jan, it's innovation. When you, when you see real innovation as a scientist or a, a doctor, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is real, you know, and, and it's so easy to get behind. So that's amazing. And I, I love that you told us, you know, a little bit about, um, you know, and I hope through this masterclass, I would love for you to tell us these little stories because, you know, it's not every day we get to hear from, um, you know, especially women pioneers in this like medical science research, you know what I mean? Like, it's like a big, like, like, I feel like people categorize it either you're a woman in medicine or you're a woman in science or you're a woman. But it's like when you finally, when I meet someone like you, you've, you've crossed so many different, you know, categories here. And I, yeah. I really admire that. So I would love to, you know go through our series like kind of pick your brain a little bit um but That's I want to kind of you no and I want to but I want to dive in to um to you know really the the knowledge and I want you to educate us and I know I've been watching a little bit um you know sneaking into your lives on Instagram and stuff and I've I've really um been listening to you speak about things like acne and you know uh really kind of go into the science and the nitty-gritty and I heard you say that acne is an epidemic today and I would love for you to speak on that a little bit you know, it is. It's an actual epidemic among women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. And when I say women, I'm not leaving men out of it, but men typically don't have acne past the age of 23 because they reach something called terminal beard growth. The beard reaches its full diameter, pushes everything out of the follicle. You rarely see men unless they have something like acne fulminans or acne conga blotta. You don't, you don't see them with complaining about acne the way that women do throughout literally their entire adult life. And this is something that affects an individual's self-image and self-esteem. It really um, has an effect on how you view yourself. And it's unfortunate for consumers because there's not a lot of real solutions out there. Now, do you know that in the consumer marketplace, I think it's something like $1.3 billion is spent or more each year on acne solutions and more money is spent on non-prescription acne solutions, so-called solutions, than if you took all the prescription products and put them together. And if you are an adult female, do you pick an acne solution, which typically is uh, goes toward the teenage skin, maybe it's going to dry the skin out and your skin looks red and it peels and it looks worse than ever. Or do you go for your anti-aging solution and now your acne gets worse? And so this, these, this range of adult consumers, and we work with teenagers as well, but they need to be taken seriously and really have real solutions that can address complete clearing as well as addressing their concerns with the appearance of aging. Yeah, and, and that's a whole process too. So I want I want to um you know start from the beginning. So like how does acne really start? Like where where does it begin? You know, whether it's teenagers or adults. Well, I feel that it's really helpful to sort of paint a picture in the listener's mind because so many times when you're trying to find a solution, you don't really understand what is it that you're trying to address. What is the process? And first of all, the term acne is a term that's used to describe or identify a process. Now, sometimes people say, well, I don't have acne. I just break out once in a while. doesn't matter whether you break out once a day, once a month, whether you break out 10 times a day, it's all acne. It's a term that's used to describe a process. Even when you have blackheads or clogged pores or just little, maybe some little mild bumps on the skin, that would be 
still a form of non-inflammatory acne and it's referred medically as retention hyperkeratosis. Um, mm. We think it could be hereditary, but we haven't discovered the acne gene, but it makes sense. You know, it's common sense. If mom and dad have acne, chances are the kids are going to have acne. We see it running in families, but you could be the only person in the family that has it or the only person that doesn't. You can skip a generation. It's very complex. It's multifaceted. It's an inflammatory process and nobody wants to hear this, but there's no cure for acne. Now we can manage it. We can get complete total clearing. Even Accutane is not a clear for, is not a cure for acne. Statistically, medical statistics show that about 50% of people fail mm -hmm. Accutane. And by that meaning their acne comes back to some extent where it's not acceptable. Of the 50% where it's not considered a failure, their acne may be better, but very often, if you talk to people that have been on Accutane, they still break out. It's just not, they don't break out as badly. And sometimes they go into remission where they may be very clear for six months or a year, and then gradually it starts to come back. We can get complete, total clearing. We can manage it. So in terms of the process, when yeah. you think about the outside of your skin, the stratum corneum is a dead layer. That's right. the layer that we look at and we touch, and it sheds about 500 million cells a day, shed them all over your whole body. When you look at a follicle opening, you're looking at, at the opening into a long hollow tube. It's about as big around as the diameter of a hair. And that tube is lined with dead cells, very much like on the outside. They constantly shed into the follicle. At the end of the tube, you have sebaceous glands. One of the reasons you produce oil is not to stay young forever, but because the oil pushes the cells to the surface, they sit there and they fall off. And that's the normal process. Now, yeah. individuals that have a tendency to acne, yeah. the cells stick together. We don't understand why. Acne starts in the follicle. So, you know, people are obsessed with a breakout. You get a breakout and, oh my God, I got to scrub it away. I got to pick it off. I've got to do something. That's the end of the process. You have to prevent it. So it starts in the follicle, with the cells sticking together. And what happens as those cells continue to stick together and stick together, the very mildest form of acne would be where the follicle dilates. You see that like an open comedone or blackhead. And, you know, you can go and get those extracted or you can squeeze them. But the reason that they're back so quick sometimes by the next day is because you've done nothing to interrupt the process, it just pushes itself back up to the opening. Now in more serious acne, cells stick together, cells stick together. And the, there's traps oil and there's literally no oxygen in there with the trapped oil and the cells. And so it also traps P. acne bacteria. Now P. acne bacteria is harmless. You can't catch it. You can't spread it. You can have the clearest skin of anyone and you still have colonies of P. acne bacteria, just part of your body. But when it's trapped in the follicle with the oil and dead cells, it eats the oil. And then it excretes this fatty acid byproduct that's very toxic. And what it does is it wears down your follicle walls. So if everything stayed in your follicle, you wouldn't have a problem. But when it starts to wear down the follicle walls, you can end up with either a leak, a rupture, or a blowout. Mm. Now, a leak would happen near the top of the follicle. And so some of this inflammatory material comes outside and it's an inflammatory process. You end up with a little red bump, a papule, maybe it turns into a pustule. If it's a rupture, it's deeper, more material goes outside. And as it makes its way to the surface, you get a nodular mini cyst. Those are those hard underground lesions, take a lot longer to go away. They typically don't scar, but they leave discoloration. 
a scar is an injury to the dermis. It's not discoloration. That's not a scar. We can get rid of the discoloration. And if you have where the side of the follicle literally looks like it blew up yeah, and lots of material comes outside and it's down much deeper, it goes into the dermis, destroys collagen elastin as it makes its way to the surface, you end, you're going to end up with a full-blown cyst. And that typically does scar because you have destroyed collagen, you've destroyed elastin. And so you could end up with an ice pick scar or a rolling scar, boxcar scar, you know, a divot, something like that. Um, so that's, yeah. that's, that's the process. And, and again, it's so important to understand that acne starts in the follicle. You have to interrupt that process. You can get complete, total clearing. Um, you guys, nobody in the, <laughs> you can't see me, but if you could see me, I'm a two-time Accutane failure. And my skin, I never break out. My skin is flawless all the time. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't do what I do every single day, I guarantee you, I would start breaking out. And the other thing that's important for people to note is that you can do something that's not necessarily appropriate for your skin that maybe is acneogenic. And it's not like you're going to break out tomorrow necessarily. There can be a lag time. And I'll give you a really good example. The average age at which females begin to develop hips in the U.S. is eight years old. And the onset of puberty is measured by breast development, not menstruation. So you've got, say, a little nine or 10-year-old girl, and she's got budding breasts, and she's in puberty, but her skin is perfect. Right. She could be developing these little microcomedones, these little, this little club, this little bit of dead cells that are starting to stick together. And she could have perfect skin and then wake up on her 12th birthday, and all of a sudden she's breaking out. So it it took that long for those microcomedones to kind of develop. They can sit there and they can be dormant. So it's, so just because you have a period where maybe your skin is clear for whatever reason, it doesn't mean that you've, you've, you've somehow you've cured your acne. You've got to do something every single day. So you're basically, t- yeah, and, and you're telling us um, that basically it's the skin. I mean, we have to take care of the skin. It's not so much about, you know, people focus, I feel like, so much on, like, specific things, like, and in terms of, like, just too focused. But really, it's about overall skin health. It's like keeping your skin in homeostasis almost. Well, I think that there is this, um, there is this sort of focus on, somehow well let me put it to you this way let's just say that you didn't have any genetic tendency to acne at all yeah you had really clear skin and only about one to two percent of the teenage population escapes acne so that means it's the same you know really with adults but let's say you were one of those very fortunate people well theoretically you could put dirt on your face every day and you wouldn't break out acne starts in the follicle (laughs) so you know there's this obsession with maybe cleaning the skin or that somehow if you you hear all kinds of crazy things um put toothpaste on as that it'll make it go away and so we're obsessed with how we can make something go away as opposed to how we can prevent it yes that's oh my gosh i'm glad you said that yeah i agree i agree it's really about the prevention and you know that's interesting you were talking about the follicle aspect because um you know there's a lot of 
for example, once you start seeing the acne, um, you know, a lot of teenagers love to spot treat, right? So can should we be spot treating? Well, you know, there's a, something that could happen with, for example, breakthrough, and we can we can talk about the solution for all of this, but even if you have a good solution, occasionally you could have breakthrough. Maybe it's something in your diet or it's excessive stress or something like that. And there are ways in which you can decrease the initial inflammation or maybe help the lesion to go away a little bit faster um, by maybe just being more vigilant or a little bit more aggressive with, with the, the kinds of topical treatments that work. Um, but really, again, it's prevention. And even if you have the breakthrough, most people find that it is minor and it goes away so much more rapidly than it did before they were using the right regimen. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, what about, okay, so I know that you had mentioned teenagers and then, you know, we have adults. So with teenagers, um, as you discussed, you know, puberty is such a difficult thing to kind of pinpoint. And I feel like a lot of people are talking about that, right, with hormones and stuff. But then what about adults? Like, can you give us a little bit of information about adult acne? Like, well, you know, how does that really, what is that? Like, well, why do we you know, pretty much it's acne. Acne is acne. But then again, it's not. And so with adult women, there's a little bit of a, a difference. Um, and it, depending on who you talk to or what statistics you look at, this could be as many as 95 or more percent of adult women that have some kind of persistent breakout. So when you think about adult females, typically they can break out anywhere, but typically the breakout, whether it was on their forehead or their cheeks as a teenager. Maybe they didn't have any acne as a teenager. It started when they were 25. I hear this all the time, you know, or my acne kind of went away after I got in, you know, turned 20. And then all of a sudden I'm 35 and it's back again. It's usually on the chin, the jawline perioral, that area. Right. And typically it is that really persistent nodular kind of acne. Now here's what's going on. So in your follicle, you have certain enzymes that are harmless. Isozyme type one, isozyme type two, known as fibroid reductase. You have them up on your scalp too and your follicles. And then outside your follicle, you have hormones, hopefully. You have estrogen, you have progesterone, you have testosterone. Now we women have almost as much testosterone as men, but it's bound by hormones. And it's kind of like having a sack around them and it keeps us from getting a deep voice and a hairy chest and a mustache, big mustache. Some of us get little mustaches, but... Um, and what happens is that if you have a little bit of a testosterone sensitivity, and it's not something that shows up in a blood test, it's not like having polycystic ovary, you, there's a wide range of normal. So a lot of times people say, oh, it's, my hormones must be off because I break out every time I'm around my period. And they can be perfectly normal, but you can have a little bit of a testosterone sensitivity, or you can produce a little free testosterone, and it gets together with the enzymes in the follicle, they shake hands and they produce dihydrotestosterone. Yeah, it's the most aggressive form. And guess what? It's acne, chin, jawline, perioral, and it's very, very stubborn. It'll fail Accutane. It'll yeah. go away, but it'll come right back. And so um, 
that is what is really kind of the underlying. Now we can get into some more complexities about kind of what causes this, but I, there's a solution for it. Yeah. What is that? Okay. So this is really for the solution for any acne. Yeah. But I always say that you can do anything you want, but if you really want complete total clearing, there's really no negotiation, no exceptions. So number one, you've got to introduce something into the follicle that helps interrupt this process of the cells sticking together. So that's the first part. And we do that with the skincare management system. Now, the skincare management system is, is a boxed set of product that really is a, for anyone. It addresses virtually any common skin concern. But the reason people always say, well, how can it address so many different concerns? Or how can I be on the same system and address so many different concerns? And I'll give you an example. There's a product in there called BioClear. Now, BioClear is glycolic, salicylic, and azelaic acid. Azelaic acid is sold by prescription for acne. It's also sold by prescription for rosacea. It's also one of the best resurfacing agents we've ever seen for the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and just pore size and just refining the skin. It's also a pigment lifting agent for individuals that have discoloration and it makes the skin just look a lot more even. And then in that product is also glycolic acid. Now, active, all the skincare ingredients in the entire world that have been studied medically, where you have biopsies and and you have histological studies, and they've been studied at medical conferences and presented all, all the ingredients in the world that are cosmetic. There are two that have been studied more than any other. One is retinoids, one is glycolic. And glycolic has this ability because of a small molecular weight to dissolve and dislodge the glue-like substance between cells on the surface of the skin. So it resurfaces the surface. It makes it look incredibly glowing, refined, and it helps with the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. And in the follicle, because of small molecular weight, it goes into the follicle, dissolves and dislodges the glue-like substance or cellular cement between cells so they don't stick together, interrupts the acne process. Now, I could talk for an hour on glycolic in terms of how it also stimulates glycosaminoglycans and mucopolysaccharides and ceramides and phospholipids and hyaluronic acid. But for this pr purposes here, I can... Take somebody who has skin that's kind of aging and I can completely transform it. But at the same time, the person who has acne and they may have acne and aging, we can also address that. And finally, salicylic. Now we've all heard of that because we know it's used for acne, but in this combination, it works much better. And it's, it's kind of a nice resurfacing agent. It makes the skin a little brighter. So you put those three together. I've never seen anything for home care that can address so many different concerns. And the whole system is geared toward those common skin concerns, whether it's you know fine lines or it's acne or et cetera. Um, so that's number one, that's the first part. So the second part is, and a product called Duality. Now Duality is a product that's got two chambers. Okay. And you pump each side out and then you mix it together in your hand. But the, the first chamber is benzoyl peroxide. And I got to tell you, I know what everybody's thinking. I can hear them. They're going, but Shan, benzoyl peroxide is a teenage medication. It's going to dry out my skin. This is not mom's benzoyl peroxide or your daughter's benzoyl peroxide or the infomercial benzoyl peroxide. This is something, benzoyl peroxide works because benzoyl forces peroxide in the follicle, releases oxygen. Piacne bacteria 
can't live in oxygen. It kills it better than anything we've ever seen. And that's a statement by the American Academy of Dermatology. And if you're working with the right product, you can't develop a resistance. If it works for you once, it'll work for you forever. Now, it, the, most benzoyl peroxide, virtually all of it, is micronized, so it doesn't feel rough. It's micronized to 60 microns. This is 12 microns, or excuse me, five microns. It's 12 times smaller. It doesn't dry and it bypasses the surface and it works better and it works quicker and it doesn't dry. Now, how can I say that? Well, one of the reasons I can say that is not only do the studies demonstrate it, but we tested this product in Alberta, Canada with Dr. Yeah. Jaggy Rao. Now, Dr. Jaggy Rao is a derm that's board certified in the US and in Canada. He's head of the dermatology residency program at University of Alberta. And he um, is also the CEO and founder of the Acne Clinics of Canada. He treats virtually more acne than any other doctor. So we did a study with him and it was done in weather that was 20 to 40 degrees below zero. And in the study, the patients in the study, their skin was actually more hydrated after the study than before the study with this benzoyl peroxide. So that's part one. Now, the second part of the chamber yeah. is retinol. And this is not just any retinol, but I won't go into a lot of details, but retinol is a gold standard for acne. Right. It works differently than benzoyl peroxide. It's also a gold standard for discoloration. It's a gold standard for the appearance of aging. And we know nothing about it. Pardon? It's a gold standard for everything right now because it's it's not, you know, we don't know much about it or anything well, else, you know. Here's the interest. It's It's been studied now for well over 50 years. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you a couple of things of why it's so amazing, why we can address the acne, but we can de-age the skin at the same time. Yeah. So retinoids kind of change the environment in the follicle. So they work different than glycolic. They work different than benzoyl peroxide, but it's very synergistic. But one of the things about a retinoid that is so stunning is how it de-ages the appearance of skin. So bear with me for a moment because it's gonna, this is going to get really good. So, you know, we say to people all the time, we say, when you look in the mirror and you start to see the first signs of aging, and maybe your pores look larger and your texture looks different and your skin starts to just look duller and fine lines. And we say, well, you know, most of that damage happened before the age of 10. It takes 10, 20, 30 years to show up and at least 50% before the age of 20. So we intellectualize that, but we don't really unpack it. We don't really quite understand what that means. So your genes are made up of DNA and some of your genes are expressive genes. So they express out information or instructions. It's like a blueprint. Doesn't matter if you have a cold or a broken bone or you have a sunburn, your body, if it's going to be normal again, <laughs> that's the instructions. It has to read those instructions and go by those instructions to learn to know how to repair. So when you're born, those instructions pretty much are perfect. It's like a, a, a perfect CD. Your epigenome is just, it's just, the clarity is beautiful. There's not a scratch on it. And of course, you're making brain cells and muscle mass and you're growing and you're in an anabolic state. And maybe you're, you know, you're, you're getting a few little scratches along the way onto that, that CD, but still you're repairing beautifully. Then you hit 20 or so, and now you're going into a catabolic state 
and you're, you know, you're fully cooked. And right. so you're going to, you're going into a small decline, even though you may not really notice it, but you're starting to not repair quite the same way because your instructions, they've got lots of scratches on them. And so it's not, the interpretation is not quite the same. You're not going to repair the same way at 40 that you did at 15. You're not going to repair at 50 like you did at 20. Right. And so we start to see this as aging, both internally and externally. You know, again, we see larger pores. We see textural changes. We start to see fine lines. Every person on the face of the earth by the age of 35 will have abnormal pigmentation. And so here is what is just so absolutely astounding. And that is that we know for a fact that the right retinoid can actually repair the instructions coming from your DNA. That's a fact. Yeah. And yeah. you could take two twin girls that have identical DNA and right. put them on the same skincare program, but have one using a retinoid, one doesn't. And in 10 or 15, in 10 years, want to look at 10, 10 or 15 years younger than the other. Right. So right. we can, I can literally really transform. I could put somebody who doesn't have acne. I wouldn't do this, but I could put somebody on, on duality that doesn't have acne and I can transform their skin from an, from a, a, the appearance of aging. And so um, it's really a breakthrough. And I had physicians say to me for years, Jan, if you could just take the two gold standard benzoyl peroxide and a retinoid and somehow put them together. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing about that chamber with the retinoid is that it has something that gets rid of discoloration, the leftover acne discoloration about 300 times faster. Um, we also have something in there that helps to block the 5A reductase and that testosterone sensitivity from getting together and forming dihydrotestosterone. Yeah. Well, uh, five, pardon? For listening, 5A reductase for everyone listening is an enzyme that converts into testosterone, right? right. Estra yeah. Right. So we have something that blocks, you know, helps to block that, which is again, that really that significant issue in adult females. And we also have peptides and we have anti-inflammatories. So um, it's really exceptional. There's just nothing like it along with the system to be able to address all of those concerns that people have that go along with acne and just, you know, getting as we get older. Yeah. No, I'm okay. I'm very, very intrigued right now because when you were talking about the um, benzoyl peroxide and um, the, the duality right here, it, it's very, very interesting for me as a scientist because I'm thinking of, well, you've just created an artificial way to create, well, not artificial, but just a better, more, you know, directed way to do an oxidative burst. And that's, you know, normal way that we kill bacteria in our body is this one of the mechanisms is an oxidative burst so you were doing that and destroying those bacteria with that but then you've got the retinol and now the retinol is working on a genetic expression level right so that's very interesting to me in terms of timeline can like how long does it take for someone to really see this like results of like well now i'm not breaking out like i used to anymore you know like that's a really good question because let me mention to you something about benzoyl peroxide that I want to mention and I'll answer your question. So I told you the P. acne bacteria is part of your body. So you can't do anything that's bactericidal. I can't kill it permanently. This is bacteria static. So what I do with the benzoyl peroxide is every single day, I keep those colonies down. 
That's why I say, if I miss one day, the colonies come back, they eat the oil, and whether you break out the next day or maybe in a few days, it, you're going to have a backlash. Now, the, the thing with benzoyl peroxide, and I'm sorry, ask me your question again, and then I got off track, excuse me. No, I was just, no, you were on track, actually. I was just wondering about, like, the timeline of the, this treatment. Oh, how long it takes, okay. So, first of all, when you're using the system and you're using this, it's so common. Our practitioners tell us this all the time that the patient will say, is it my imagination? Even just like the next, after a day or two, they'll say, my skin looks smoother. My pores look smaller. My skin just seems to be a little calmer. And typically with benzoyl peroxide, because it works so fast that you can see a huge difference in the skin in just a week or two with new breakouts because you can immediately help to interrupt that process and you start to see it on the outside but you have fewer new breakouts and the existing breakouts tend to go away a little faster now with females it's cyclical because I oftentimes will say you might get complete clearing where you're not breaking out in the first two or three weeks, but then your period comes and sometimes you might have a little flare-up, but then each subsequent cycle, the flare-up is less and less until you have complete total control. So it's very rapid. I actually have done interviews where I've talked about, we call it countdown to the holidays. And, you know, you say, well, you've got six weeks before the new year or four weeks before new year. We can get you completely clear. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. I like that. But it's, it's managed. It's not a cure. It's managed because if you didn't do this, it's mm. going to come back. There's no cure for acne. Yeah. And you know, it's all about like creating this balance in your, the largest organ of your body. And that's a beautiful, I, I love that you're, you know, explaining this. So in a systematic way, because I think the fundamental thing that I, most consumers miss which you know you're clearly aware of jan is that it's this understanding of what is it that i need to do for my skin Mm -hmm. so that i don't worry about it anymore you know like i don't have to think about am i going to break out and like you know right before that event i have to go to or is all this stress going to break right like those kind of questions and i i i think that is just the most unique approach i've never seen that really other than you know I, like this is the first time i'm seeing this really like in-depth approach where it's more preventative than anything and i you know i i think consumers really need to get on that bandwagon i think more because it's, it's know, really after cool. i spent when i i developed severe cystic acne and i mentioned i was trying to tame failure around uh just before i turned 19 20 and I ended up being one of the last groups connected with Stanford University before Accutane was fully approved for uh, regular use and um, and then I went on it again um, about oh a year later but I used to wake up if I woke up in the middle of the night the first thing I did was I put my hand on my face. That was the very first thing I did because I wanted to see, oh my God, if I'm going to find in the morning that I've got, you know, two new cysts or something. And to have, to know, to be able to actually know what I'm doing and to be able to have complete control and manage it is such a gift. And one of the things when I'm interviewed by the media, 
there's usually two questions I get asked. One is, do I use my own products? Which, yes, I do. And the second one is, what is it that inspires me or motivates me? You know, why do I read all the, the, the medical journals and I do the research and I develop product and I give the same answer every single time. I do it for me. I develop these products because I'm selfish. I don't want adult acne. I don't want discoloration. I don't want rosacea. I'd like to keep fine lines and wrinkles away as long as possible. I'd like to have healthy, you know, radiant, younger looking skin as long as possible. And I don't think I'm different than anyone else. And the average female has over $600 in product in her bathroom she doesn't use. And I always say, I don't want another product. I want a solution. And that's really when I founded Jamarini Skin Research, it was really about finding solutions for common skin concerns, not just because a product feels good or it's got some ingredient that has something, you know, somebody developed something that had to do with wound healing or whatever. And so they put it in every single product. It's really about building products from the ground up and that are actual solutions. And I always say, think about how you'd feel about your skin if you're able to address every one of the common skin concerns that bother you. Right, right. No, I, I, I'm with you. And I think this is, you know, this is so interesting to me, especially because, you know, when I think of just the female consumer, right, Jen, I think of like, we have so many different concerns um, that we all you know, every day something new pops up that we want to avoid or we want to prevent. But then especially with women who are pregnant or they're getting or they are pregnant or they're about to get pregnant and then they get very concerned. You know, we're sitting here talking about retinol. Right. So this is where I get very kind of flustered with with women because they want to say things like, well, I want to go the all natural route with my products now because I'm pregnant, but I still want to use a retinol. So can you tell us about how to really treat acne when you're pregnant and if you should go, which route you should go, what you should be doing? Because here's my thing. I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I would, if I was pregnant and I still want to take care of my skin and stick to like, you know, as close to my routine as possible, I would go more towards something like that's scientific, you know, like, you know, what you're talking about. I would go more towards the doctors and be like, give me clinical grade or clinically, you know, tested skincare rather than natural ingredients or organic. So that's a really good question. Now, the first thing I'm going to say is that if somebody were to call our technical support department and say, I'm pregnant, can I use water? The answer would be ask your doctor (laughs) because so that's always the answer. But with that said, what I will tell you is, is that benzoyl peroxide is not contraindicated in pregnancy. If you look at the physician's S reference or the studies, it's not contraindicated in pregnancy or nursing. Now it's still up to the physician, but we make a separate benzoyl peroxide that's not connected with the retinol. Now with retinol, the way that retinol works is you have a receptor site. Everybody has it in their skin, an enzyme. And when it comes in contact with this enzyme, it is immediately converted into retinoic acid or tretinoin, the active ingredient that's in the prescription. So retinoids are controversial, but if I were to look back on the years of all of the plastics and the female derms that all used, continue to use the prescription retinoids when they were pregnant. So, you know, it kind of goes back to When my mom was pregnant with me, she took 25,000 units of vitamin A in the prenatal every day. And for whatever reason, thinking that this could have some connection to particular birth defects, they cut it down to 10,000. But 
the fact is, and this is just an overabundance of cautions, to think that if you put a retinoid on your face and somehow it's going to go through your skin, into your bloodstream, into your liver, and then it's going to make it to the fetal and through the sac and all of that is kind of almost, it's just almost impossible. But yeah. as an overabundance of caution, I understand this. So I leave it up to the physician. And many physicians are fine with retinol, more so than they are with a prescription retinoid. But it's up to the doctor. Now, both of my stepdaughters, their OBGYNs were fine with them using retinol during pregnancy. But it's up to the doctor. Right. Benzoyl peroxide, you can, we have that separately. There's no contraindication that I know of with glycolic. Right or any of the other kinds of ingredients that we work with. And you're absolutely right, because a lot of ingredients that are so-called natural, yeah, organic, that are not tested, and many times can have um, certain levels of, of, of toxicity, um, and, or just don't work. You know, it's just, it's a waste of money, because we don't have receptor sites in our skin for plants. Right. And also, it's yeah. like, we have a way of dosing that. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. one of my biggest draws to, you know, innovators such as yourself is that you guys think differently. And this is something I've been trying to like, just put out on this podcast as much as I can, is that when you approach a skin health expert, you shouldn't even have to ask them things like, well, what about the dose? And what about this? And is it going to work? Because they've already thought about that, you know? And it's like, you, you're already on that. Like, I, I, a doctor is not going to just say, oh, by the way, just take some aspirin. They're going to say, no, take 81 milligrams of aspirin. It's called baby aspirin. You know, people give you numbers when they know what they're talking about. And my biggest pet peeve is when women who are pregnant, they're like, well, I just don't trust, you know, clinical grade skincare. And I'm like, that's an oxymoron. Like, I don't get it. (laughs) But Ecto, uh, when the European, when when the UK, Great Britain became part of the European Union, they took on certain rules and regulations. So it used to be that you could export product or to uh, the UK. And it was just, you know, basically the same as the U S there were no particular regulations that were that much different, but the European union had very strict um, compliance in place where you had to do, if a company like Jamarini skin research were going to export product, it had to go through toxicity testing and it had to be done by a toxicity expert Um, who was in the UK and it had to be done on every single product. And then your formulas and all of these results had to be put with what was called an interested third party where their health ministry could, anytime they needed to, could look at these records. And so the toxicity testing was so strict because there are things we use here in the U S that we don't even think about that. They won't even allow you to have one gazillionth of a, of one part of one millionth of whatever in the product. And so as a result, a lot of companies that are so-called organic or natural or whatever, they can't import into there. They can't. Now we passed on every level. Right. And if there was anything we needed to change, we changed So same products in the U S as it is there. So they have been tox tested. I right. mean, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't get any stricter. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's, you know, it, it's expected, you know, I think when, when things are done right, those kind of things just, you know, those kind of 
uh, checks and balances just exist. It's more about researching who you're buying products from and what that company stands for. You know, if I were to just give like any consumer advice, that would be my like main thing is like, make sure you do your homework, you know, make sure you're understanding who it is that's behind the line that you're buying. And so, yeah, I, I love that you mentioned that. And I love that there are stringent criteria there that everyone should be aware of, right? I mean, I'm so glad that, you know, Jan Marini Research products are are there and they're tried and true and tested. But I'm, I hope other brands can learn from that and really kind of keep this in mind that these things do exist and you are liable. You know, you have to go through these this whole process. So um, now I want to ask you, what about... Um, like we talked about pregnancy now what about all other types of like adult hormonal acne I mean is is it really is there a difference like what is the difference how does it I mean what are all the different you know um, categories I guess you could say it's you know it's pretty much all the same and what I will tell you um, there's the there's the rare occasion where you have somebody who is an adult and they get their acne gets better, but it just doesn't, we just can't get it, you know, completely hundred percent clear. And that's really rare. But in that case, what I typically do is I tell them to talk to a physician and to get something and everybody can kind of keep this in your back pocket. This is going to sound crazy, but what it is, is something called spironolactone, S is in Sam, P is in Peter, I-R-O-L-O. Uh, N-O-L-O-C-H-E-O-N-E. So spironolactone, interestingly, is a diuretic that's been around over 50 years that's used for congestive heart failure and high blood pressure. And what it does with regard to acne is it does one thing, one thing only. It kind of puts a wall up between the hormones and the 5A reductase and the follicle. It just blocks it. They can't get together. Yeah. And in these individuals that have really stubborn, and I, I talked to, I, I consulted with a doctor in, in, um, in Texas a number of years ago, a derm who had a five-time Accutane failure and put her on low-dose spironolactone. So it's not like you're putting it on what you would do for congestive heart failure or high blood pressure. We're talking about 50 to 150 milligrams a day. Yeah. And that person was clear, completely clear for the first time in her life. Wow. Completely clear. And so that's, you know, something that you can kind of have in your back pocket if you can't get to complete total clearing, but most people do. They don't have to result to that. Um, I have a question. I have a question because all revolving now around testosterone. And I want to, I want you to tell me a little bit more about that, the role that testosterone plays. I know that this is, you know, um, because spironolactone, like you just said, again, we're talking about 5-alpha reductase, right? Mm-hmm. And so now, like, you know, I just want the audience to understand, like, on different levels, because, Jen, you're really addressing this problem or this uh, thing with acne on so many different levels, which I love, because we went through benzoprox. That was the oxidative burst, which is what our white blood cells go through to kill the bacteria. And now we're talking about, um, you know, the spironolactone um, aspect, which is an enzyme level, right? Like protein level. And then we have the retinol, which also is on the gene level. So it's like on different tiers of biology. So I, I really want you to talk to us about testosterone and why it's important for us to like, you know, I guess block this step, right? Or well, multiple. One of the things that's really 
um, interesting about the spironolactone. So, um, you know, you don't have to wait, you don't have to have a situation where you, you feel like you're failing in terms of controlling your acne completely to the level that you want to control to complete total flaring. Because what happens is um, when 50% of all females, as an example, will have female pattern baldness. And female pattern baldness is not where, like male pattern baldness, where you get this horseshoe baldness and you lose all your hair, but it's where the hair becomes, uh, can become thinner, can kind of get patchy sometimes. Um, maybe your part gets wider. Uh, maybe the, the temple area gets a little bit less, but also there's some hair miniaturization where the hair just doesn't have the same resiliency, the same, um, each individual hair is not as thick. It's not as resilient to chemical treatments. And if you look at somebody from behind, let's say 50, 55 years old or 45, and you look at them walking next to their, you know, 20 year old daughter, you can tell the difference in their age, just looking at their hair from a distance. And so, um, so the hair, female hair, though, in female pattern baldness, the hair doesn't typically, the follicle doesn't die, whereas men over time, the follicle dies. So it can be revived. Now, what happens is when you take spironolactone and you're blocking the, the 5A reductase from getting together with the testosterone, so they don't meet, shake hands, you're also blocking the follicle. And what happens is, is that most women find out that their hair loss stops immediately and they actually get hair regrowth. They start seeing it in about four to six weeks. Um, and they also have less hair on their face because what happens is as you start to get hair thinning above, you grow more hair, more hair on the face. So this has, you know, multiple uses. And the other thing that I want to mention about testosterone is there is a link between acne and diet. Now we didn't used to think that was the case, Yeah. but we, there's a couple of things. One, milk causes acne. We know this beyond a doubt. It has been proven conclusively. Now, sure, there are some people who do a lot of dairy and they don't get acne, but for the majority of us, it is a causative or an exacerbating factor. This was a study that was done on 47,000 nurses. It was repeated on their sons and daughters and then two separate groups of 3,000 teenage girls and 3,000 teenage boys. This study was printed in the Mosby Journal of uh, dermatology, which is the, we call it the Mosby Blue Book. It's the, like the most technical dermatology journal that comes out every month. And mm -hmm. what it found is that milk causes, dairy causes acne. Now, not because we give hormones to cattle, because whether you buy your milk at Whole Foods or you buy it at Safeway, we milk cows when they're pregnant. We want to keep the herds up. We want to keep the, you know, keep the revenues up. And in nature, if a cow is pregnant, it immediately will push their calf away and not allow it to nurse because it's producing steroidal hormones. Yeah. We'll get the milk tested. It's got steroidal hormones in it. So that's milk. That's ice cream. That is um, whey protein. You know, you drink protein, but it's more concentrated in the whey protein. Yeah. It's, it's protein bars. Now, that's, so that's one issue. So dairy is a causative factor. And this is what, one of the reasons we see so much in adult females. Now, the second part of this is the 
glycemic load. Now, most people know what the glycemic index is, because if you look at a candy bar, you say, oh, wow, yeah, that's high on the glycemic index. The glycemic load is more, how, how does your body deal with this food when you eat it? How, how much glucose is it turned into? So for example, you could have a quarter cup of sugar compared to the best piece of whole wheat bread that you can get your hands on. And the bread will turn into more sugar with the glycemic load than the if you just ate the quarter cup of sugar. And so what happens is today, particularly in the U.S., so this is one of the reasons why the U.S. has kind of been ahead of many parts of the world in terms of acne. Yeah. It's because, you know, we grew up on, grew up on high carb breakfast cereals, right? We grew up on things like bagels and mac and cheese, and we have pasta. And a lot of these things might seem to be healthy, but what happens is when you ingest them, you're putting glucose into every single cell in your body. And right. not only is that inflammatory, so it's, it's part of the, you know, it, it exacerbates aging and all of that, but you're putting glucose in every cell in your body. Now, what happens is, is that even though you may not be a diabetic, as you age, your glucose levels oftentimes are not quite the same. They may not be the same at 40 as they were at 20. And right. so how you process, how you handle that glucose, especially if you have spikes, what happens is your body produces testosterone if you have a high spike to take it down and normalize it you're producing right. more testosterone so that's one of the things that contributes we believe to adult acne and what a lot of physicians this is still something that's evolving but what a lot of physicians derms are finding is that if they take even their teenage patients and they put them on a low carb or lower carb, but a low carb diet, that it has a significant effect on inflammation and pustule count. Now think about this. You as a physician know that if you have a patient that has polycystic ovary syndrome, right producing a lot of testosterone and by the way this isn't going to show up in a blood test but polycystic it shows up in a blood test so you know they're producing testosterone what are the things that you do besides putting them on birth control or something but what do you do you put them on a low carb diet usually no more than 30 carbs a day yeah because what that does is it takes the testosterone levels down yeah, and that's exactly, I love that you're saying this because we, for the longest time, polycystic ovarian syndrome, everyone was on metformin and they right. still are. And what metformin exactly. is, it's used for insulin sensitivity, in, you know, insensitivity, sorry. And what happens is you you have these people that are, you know, like you said, Jan, they're the, the glycemic load and the able to, the ability to process that glucose, right, over, over time right. with but thing, those are the things that I mean. I I love that you brought this up. Yeah, that changes as we age, and that that really makes sense. What you're saying with the diet, because if you can't process the same amount of sugar you could when you were 10 years old as you can when you're you know 50 or 45 or 35, you know it changes. And so we have 
be mindful of that. And PCOS, actually, it's funny, you know, that we're talking about this PCOS, insulin, insensitivity syndrome, all of these have been rising, you know, in the last decade, like the, the incidence of women having it, you know, what is it? One in 10 women have PCOS now, like everybody has it. Well, they also put these same women to help with the outward characteristics of the acne, because a lot of times the women will go to the doctor and they don't say, I have polycystic ovary. They'll say, gee, doctor, I have all this acne. I'm growing a lot of hair on my face. I'm getting, I'm even getting hair around my, my, my nipples. And so one of the, they get tested and it's that they find out they're polycystic. And so one of the things they give them besides say the metformin and the, the diet and birth control and all of that is spironolactone, because again, yeah. it blocks what's happening in the follicles. So at least the acne clears up and they're also losing a lot of hair. So, and I'm glad you mentioned metformin because um, we can talk about this sometime in more depth. I talk a lot about nutrition and aging, but metformin is actually going through the FDA as an, as an anti-aging drug. Yeah. And metformin um, was discovered around 1922. It comes from the lily plant. And then in 1972, it went into use for type two diabetes of which you know, we're, that's almost like an epidemic. And um, it's an interesting drug because it's been tested out in the marketplace. I mean, it's been on millions and millions of people. So we know what it does. And very simply, it just works with an enzyme in the liver and it just keeps the liver from dumping too much glucose. If you take it, it works. If you stop taking it, it's not like there's some type of a, a backlash or something. It just stops working. Um, there's relative, really relatively no side effects with it. And they give it to teenagers. They give it to for people for all kinds of things. But every researcher that I know, Harvard, mm. Yale, all the ones that are on the cutting edge of anti-aging, they all take metformin and they're not diabetic. I take metformin. Yeah, I do. I, and, do. Um, I think that it does have a really nice effect. Not only does it, do they know they've been able to demonstrate that it has an effect on helping to prevent Alzheimer's, heart disease, uh, certain types of cancer, um, you know, a lot of inflammatory aging issues because it just keeps glucose from sticking to every cell in your body, including your collagen. Your 80% of your dermis is collagen. And so it has an effect on skin. It has an effect on cognitive function. It has an effect on so many things. But the interesting thing about it is the reason that it also is so intriguing is that in one study, I think it was on 14,000 individuals who were elderly and they were type two diabetic and they weren't necessarily taking good care of themselves. They were on metformin, but they were, you know, kind of couch potatoes and not necessarily the greatest diet, but they lived longer. They lived longer than people like me who really try to take care of myself. I think it was like three to four years or so. And supposedly because metformin releases tiny little amounts of free radicals into cells. It's just enough of a stressor that turns on certain sirtuins, which are anti-aging genes. So it's really, really, really intriguing. But what this all points to is that you've got to keep those, that glucose, those glucose levels down. And it all points toward low-carb diets. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I, you know, I know the research is, it's there and it's, it's a lot of it, you know, metformin has been around, like you said, and 
you know, it's very interesting that we are now looking at diet so closely because the diet, I mean, if you think about it, you know, it makes sense, Jen, like everything you said, I mean, you look at like, you know, ancient cultures, right? Like Eastern cultures, people lived off their land. They ate vegetables, you know, they ate like simple foods. And then you look at Western civilizations and cities and just look at the kind of different pathologies that they, you know, still are dealing with. I mean, diabetes and, you know, these kind of like obesity related things are so much more prevalent in the West and it is our diet. So I, I completely, Absolutely. I completely see the link and I it's that's really exciting though about metformin I didn't know that it was being so heavily studied as a yeah. anti yeah it, it is and you know um anthropological nutrition is really fascinating and it's kind of where they go back and they yeah. look at even they can study the bones of cavemen and they can actually by looking at the inside of the bones they can tell pretty much what they ate you know how much of this was were they eating elk or they were eating berries and and what they found is that when man got to the point where we were farming and it wasn't quite as nomadic because you could instead of having to go where there were animals that you could kill and eat you could grow more grains and you could grow more vegetables and things like that but that was the first time they started seeing that the size of the jaw changed they started seeing crooked teeth and they started seeing a lot of changes that were not present prior to that. And so, you know, I, I think nutrition is one of the last great frontiers in terms of determining how it really affects, um, you know, how we age. And with that said, um, there's just a lot of research going on into how we can um, turn on sirtuins, these anti-aging genes, and also um, even things like intermittent fasting, which they're finding, you know, some good research that shows that that can also have a very beneficial effect. Right, right. Again, with the glucose load, it's all all around that glucose load, the, yeah. you know, what we're saying, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's very interesting, and, and I loved, you know, this was the first episode, and I love that we discussed so much, um, you know, about acne and about um, everything that has to do with it and you know such a well so um, this was really great I, I loved it thank you so well, much Jen. it's been a lot of fun I really enjoyed it um, you know thank you so much for for letting me just kind of talk on and on but it's something that I love talking about and gosh I hope we get to do it again Absolutely. No, I'm really looking forward and everyone listening, we're going to have um, a few episodes in this uh, masterclass. So stay tuned for everything that's upcoming. And if you have any questions or if this conversation really kind of sparked your interest about anything that Jan brought up or that was discussed, please leave um, comments in our comment section on Instagram or any of our social platforms. I will um, definitely collect them and ask, um, you know, ask Jen next time when we speak, but thank you so much for tuning in and um, we'll be back again with part two. Uh, well, thank you. And everybody who has listened, I thank you so much because I wouldn't be here without you. So bye, Ecta. Bye. Thank you, Jan. Uh-huh.